to a tale of two rivals. Plus one. I am your host, very energized tonight, Todd at FF underscore Bantaman Foster, and I'm joined by FF underscore Spaceman Dave Wright. Holy smokes, I'm happy to have our batteries recharged after the slugfest we went through last week. And I'm ready to talk about overvalued players tonight. Let's do this. And you got your enchanting plus one, FF underscore Walrus here, ready to throw some more punches Dave's way and Todd's way, but everyone's way. Yeah, I'm I'm psyched. I'm sitting in a freshly painted room with some doers flowing. And you sound a-, a lot more confident to throw punches at Dave than me, which is the way it should be. So... I'm Dave, fine with Dave is just the primary target. I mean, he makes uh, it so easy. You always go for the baddest one. I mean, I original takes are this. novel to you guys, so I know what you guys are talking about. Yeah, okay, buddy. I so I just complimented you, Dave. You just, <laughs> you just blew right past it. Yeah, he really no did. No decorum. He really did. It was pretty funny. So, freshly painted area there, Mr. Kennedy? Yeah, did said? the dining room today. The house is coming along. It's uh, The house was built in 1892, and it looked like it. So get some eyes. Some updates have been going on, and it's uh, been a grind to do in 95 degree heat. Hey, before we get into the question of the night, I just wanted to know: uh, Did you guys enjoy my new avatar for Twitter with uh, the two championship rings it? on there? Yeah, it's, on it's one nice. and or on two. On one, on one. You can see how often Sean actually goes on Twitter right now. Two rings. So interesting. Yeah, it's good stuff. I enjoyed it. Ronnie Evans made it for me. He did fantastic work. Great guy. Yeah, no, I was pretty stoked about it. It's definitely going to go on a shirt. Dave, I appreciate the feedback on it. So, yeah, definitely put it on a shirt. Love, love the logo. Love it. I already looked it up on Custom Inc. It's only going to cost me 24 bucks. I'm in. I'm in. So, Sean, do you have a question for us? I do. I've been sitting here thinking about this episode and trying to dive through the most important aspects of it. And the thing I keep coming back to is this really big internal debate about who was the most important Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle? Quintessential to team success. Who could they not have done it without? Dave, I'll let you tackle that one first. Go ahead. I mean, it's it's definitely Donatello. Uh, yes. He's the leader. Blue. He looks sleek in the blue. Oh, and he's got the coolest weapons. That, those double so, those That's not double even the right one. That's not even, that's that's not not even, even the right Ninja, Ninja Turtle. Turtle. That's, that's Leonardo. That's not even close. Oh, oh. oh my God. God. Wow. Uh, the nerd didn't know the nerd. That's amazing. That's I, terrible. I, I'm uh, for you. What can I say? All right, I, we uh, are officially now a tale of two rivals. Dave has just been kicked off the show. <laughs> I got confused. So I think I just doubted my time. Yeah. I overthought it. I overthought it. My MO, I overthought it. The, the most essential is Leonardo, for the record. He was the leader. He was the one who kept things going. Donatello's like tinkering and crap. Like it's a little overrated. But the most underrated turtle for the, the makeup of the team is Michelangelo, man. That guy kept things loose. You need that guy for the camaraderie and the team aspect to be able to remember to go get a pizza, to remember to party, to remember to yell cowabunga. So everyone has that downtime and that understanding that, yeah, we enjoy being a part of this. And they all get relaxed and they're ready for the next mission. Michelangelo, very underrated, most important, Leonardo. All day. It was Donatello. It's Dave's original no, assessment before no. he threw up all over himself was correct. It's Donatello. He's the Batman of this group. He thinks his way out of situations. He said the wrong name, and then he started talking about swords. No. Literally, Dave did not know what he was talking about. Well, he did when he said Donatello, but everything after that was complete garbage. Yeah, because he understands that Donatello... He thought Leonardo was Donatello, and he was correct about Leonardo. Dave, see what you did, man? You, you completely just I've, this question up. We, we were off the rails. I'm sorry... 
Donatello was a little whiny. A little whiny. He is the most steady. He he leads them into the least amount of jams. You always have a... Raphael is going off trying to do his own thing, and they have to compromise their integrity by chasing him. Or Leonardo starts to doubt his leadership skills, and they need Splinter to come pick him up because they're about to fall down. Or Mikey just can't take anything seriously and is stoned all the time. Donatello was steady. He was smart. He had the team's comportment up on his shoulders. He is their Batman. He is their Alpha. I, would die I, I really did not appreciate you referencing Michelangelo with drug use. That was uncalled for. I did not think that was okay. Are you the kind of person that thinks Shaggy and Scooby aren't stoned all the time too? This this could go on for an hour. I'm I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say we got to wrap this up and get into some content. All right, Sean, I love the question. Do do you feel satisfied with your answer, Sean? Do you feel okay? I mean, I feel satisfied with my own answer. I'll say that. I don't feel satisfied. I've embarrassed myself. Yeah, yes, you have. So, tonight, <laughs> we talked about and we thought about doing an overvalued episode. Like, guys that we think that might be getting overvalued. So, as we were kind of coming up with our own guys that we wanted to possibly nominate, we came up with the idea of throwing it out to Twitter. And we got a ton of great feedback. So, this is going to be part one of our um, overvalued episode where we might not necessarily think these guys are overvalued, but these are where a lot of people on Twitter might believe these guys are overvalued. And we're going to dive deep and give our own evaluations on that player and whether they're overvalued, appropriately valued, or possibly undervalued. To start things off, Dynasty Diagnostics gave us a bunch of great subjects. So he's a staff writer and a rookie ranker over at, at DFF underscore Dynasty. Also the same organization that Dave and Sean write for. I loved all these topics. And the first thing I thought to myself was this guy might be trolling my team because the first four questions all feature players on my team that he felt were overrated. Yeah. So it kind of felt like there could be some collusion going on with the DFF crew over there with uh, trying to troll my team. Gentlemen, was there any trolling involved here? Nominating a lot of my guys. It's really telling that's that you think that's how we'd spend our time. Yeah, Todd is so egocentric that he thought we were con- we were conniving against him. Sean, you wrote a letter and sent it to Dave's school nurse. There was a <laughs> lot more time that would be put into that than just had to just saying, "Hey, mention these four guys. It will be funny." It takes fifteen seconds, man. Yeah, and I had I have a three year plan for Dave, but <laughs> that's Dave. We're talking about you. That's fine. All right, man. Good to know. Wow. All right. So the first question was, it's pretty funny actually, but the first question was, is Lamar Jackson severely overvalued in Superflex? I'm actually going to start off with Dave with this one. Yeah, so I'm glad we're starting with the, starting off hut here on the Tale of Two Rivals. We're talking about the NFL MVP who had an amazing season, might not be able to repeat an amazing season. Well done, boys. A round of applause. Well done. <laughs> but in all honesty, though, it, it is really hard to repeat as a QB, QB1 in back-to-back seasons. So the odds of him doing that are low. People who would say that he's due for regression are more likely to be right, but they might be right for the right reasons. Uh, you, we're, both, we're all probably going to talk about his 9% TD rate and how that's unsustainable from last year. But we're underrating how good he was as a passer. In 2019, he was 12th in true completion percentage. He had some average deep ball accuracy. He was 8th in clean pocket accuracy, which is a pretty predictive stat for future accuracy. And he also, he was very good in play action. He was very good throwing the ball 
And that's not even mentioning about how great he was running the ball and that floor that he gives each week in that Konami code. And on top of that, he didn't play week 17. He was benched four times in the fourth quarter in 2019. Lamar Jackson is going to have more than the 401 pass attempts he had in 2019. So I have him more around 450 pass attempts this year. And he's got Marquise Brown entering year two. He's got Dobbins added to that talent. He's got some rookie wide receivers added to increase the talent overall in the offense. And another 1,000-yard rushing season and five rushing TDs happens relatively easily. And they have a great offensive line, even with Yonder retiring in the offseason. Is he overvalued at the QB2 and DLF ADP? Nope. He's only 23 years old. Maybe I would sell him for the Tier 2 RBs and a top another top 12 QB. But I'm not selling a 23-year-old QB with that kind of cheat code that he has. I'm sorry, guys. He is not overrated. He is valued appropriately. Well said, Dave. What about you, Sean? I think he's valued appropriately, but... I think it's interesting that Dave sees, and as we've talked about people on this show, though, that individual players are going to regress, but Lamar Jackson is going to somehow sustain. He's talked about Mark Andrews not being able to do it. Running backs not catching the ball out of the backfield is going to impact it. But Lamar Jackson, he won't sustain that 9% rate, but he will pick up somewhere on the ground, like Dave said. And regression isn't what's going to happen to his game. It's going to be evolution. This Bill Polian narrative of he's not a passer still seems to be clinging on somehow, even though Dave just listed off all those stats to show that it shouldn't be. The issue becomes what you're giving up. And if you don't already have him, you're going to have to give up way too much to get him. Agree 100%. And it's gonna, you're going to end up, you're going to end up selling way too many assets to acquire just one guy. And yes, that just one guy is phenomenal, but you're going to be giving it, Dave just said, an RB2, another quarterback. You're blasting a hole in your team to fill it with something that might not fill that hole all the way. If you're looking at startup drafts, he's going within the first five selections, where if you have that top five pick, you could nail Saquon Barkley, CMC, Zeke, Kamara, Thomas, and still catch Allen or Wentz or another top eight-ish, probably QB1, coming around in the third round. So your overall team construction is going to be more bulletproof if you're not chasing Lamar Jackson. If you already have him, Mazel tov, because that's just incredible. But I don't think you can get him at a price that's going to leave your team sustainable. The time to get him was in the second half of the first round rookie drafts and after his rookie year. That was the time to get him. There's no other... He's too expensive now. Sean just covered it perfectly. Don't you agree, Todd? Yeah, you mean like with the 12th pick in our rookie draft? Yeah, it was that was a great pick. I was pretty excited about that. Uh, yeah, um, Todd, pump your tires yeah, a bit more, Todd, because you did try to trade him for Andrew Luck uh, before <laughs> the second season, so let's not forget that either. Oh, could you imagine if that had happened? Actually, to tell you the God truth, that actually would have happened, and I could you imagine if that happened, and I also had all those other Andrew Luck stories? Good Lord. But hey, didn't happen. Didn't happen. So... I am actually a little torn on this one, but is he undervalued? Is he, like, untouchable? Like, are we considering him somebody that's, like, untouchable or unmovable or something like that? Because I agree with you guys. He's obviously the QB, too, right? The one thing about his completion percentage I find it kind of interesting in, it was the first time he's ever thrown over 60% completion percentage in his college or pro career. Do I think that he can't stay above 60? Oh, absolutely I do. I just don't think he can stay closer to 67 I do see some regression happening with that. I do see some regression happening, obviously, with the 9% of his throws being TDs. Like what Dave said was, 
if he's going to start throwing the ball more, then you're looking at that 1,200 rushing yards kind of being closer to 1,000, seven rushing TDs. Yeah, that's probably sustainable, but he could go as low as five. Definitely a QB2, and he's kind of in his own tier because Mahomes is kind of in a class of his own. But I see guys like Dak, Wilson, and Watson closing that gap. Last year, he was the QB1, and the QB2 was Dak, and he had 78 more points than him. I don't see the gap being that, that far at this point. I have Jackson. I actually texted you guys. I was trying to shop him just to see if I could get Wilson, Dak, or Watson, or Watson back in a trade to see how much, see how high people are on with him. And either people rejected me, as I actually think they should have, because I was looking for that in a first. And I don't think that he's overvalued at all. Even with regression, he's still going to end up to QB2. His level of dominance, that's going to kind of shrink down to something a little bit more imaginable. Like So, now the question is, like, where would you guys take Lamar Jackson in startups? I wouldn't. It's too high. There's no way he survives the top five. But if I have a top five pick, I'm not spending it on Lamar Jackson. If he okay. fell into the 11 or the 12 and I was right there at the turn, I'd, I'd consider it. I'd really think about that. There's no way he'd be there. Yeah. No, so that, no, really but I'm saying that's the only scenario in which I'd probably be taking him is if he fell to there. It, you wouldn't take him before the end of the first. Okay, that's interesting. What about you, Dave? So he's ranked as my fourth overall player in Superflex, but for me, I I I just don't want to build a team that way. So I'd rather go running back at the top, and I'm just not going to get Lamar Jackson. So I already have to have Lamar Jackson for him to be on my team, essentially. Yeah. I, I I would still take him too, personally. I It's more about like what Sean was saying, what's coming back to you. I like to build around one of those top five guys. There's are five QBs, and I'd really like to have one of them on my team for Superflex because I think it just really, really serves you nicely to be able to wait on the QB too. And I honestly think that you can build through some other picks and running back and wide receivers in those middle rounds and kind of wait on the QB too. That's just the way that I personally build my teams. So I definitely would be we still considering him at two just because it's such a long way to come back to see who's left for QBs. And to be honest with you, if I had the two pick, I'd try to trade back if it was possible. That would be what I would try to do. I'd try to trade my pick back. And also what's interesting is that we didn't even mention people often consider injury concerns for these rushing QBs. There's been some studies done that the way that Lamar Jackson runs the ball, he's actually very safe in the way he does it. And he doesn't take the big hits that you would expect. Like a Cam Newton took a lot more big hits than the way Lamar Jackson runs. Mm -hmm. So I'm not as worried about the injury rate or the injury possibility for Lamar Jackson. But maybe as he gets further on in his career, maybe like 27, 28. But at age 23, no, I'm not even – get out of here with my your injury concerns at age 23. Right. And for me with Lamar Jackson right now, I yeah, I have a bias with running quarterbacks. I don't like – the idea, I think it's just for me holding on from Michael Vick for those earlier years. So, no, I don't. I, so I think the question was, do we think he's overvalued? No, but we do agree that there's regression coming, correct? A regression TD rate. I don't think he's going to score that many less points. I'm very confident he makes okay. up for it in other ways. Oh, actually, you know what? That actually led to me a question. So you were saying that his passes go up to about 450. So you're still confident with him running for over 1,000 yards, even though he's going to throw the ball yeah, more? Yeah, because the reason was he didn't play week 17. For, he was benched in four different fourth quarters. So that doesn't mean that he's going to be rushing the ball less. I just expect him, the Baltimore's schedule is going to be a little harder this year. The defense 
I still like their defense, but maybe they're not going to have as many positive game scripts because I think they had a pretty easy schedule last year. They might not have as, as many positive game scripts where he won't be playing, so they might have to throw the ball a little bit more. So it's not that he's going to rush less. I just think he's going to have more passing opportunities. All right. I love it, Dave. Well done. You got me very excited for my QB1. I'm very, very excited about it. Question two from Dynasty Diagnostics. Is Austin Eckler this year's Damian Williams? Sean, I'm going to start with you, and then I'm going to go last because this got me upset. Yeah, he certainly isn't because Austin Eckler is good at the football, and Damian Williams isn't. I mean, Damian Williams is just the answer to the question of what if Jonas Gray owned an alarm clock. Despite that, he is overvalued at 13. And the reason being is that, yes, he's got that absolutely premier top-tier receiving ability that you're not going to find comparable backs who can do that throughout the NFL. There's maybe two or three other ones. And his efficiency in 2019 was fantastic, and the Chargers upgraded their offensive line, and they handed him all that money. But it seems like the hype train for him is out of control. Off the tracks, see you later. And the reason being is just everybody likes him. He was coming in the holdout. But this is also a team that still gave his quote-unquote backups a good amount of touches in those early games without Gordon. Eckler wasn't necessarily a full bell cow. He was like a half a bell cow. And then Gordon comes back, and it's the timeshare that everybody knew it would be. With them drafting Kelly, somebody who's the total opposite of Eckler, you're going to see them try and utilize Kelly in Jackson between the tackles, out of the backfield, handling maybe not a predominant amount of the -the on-the-ground carries, but enough, really enough to dig in to what everybody thinks Eckler is going to come out and do. He'll still have all the passing work, but this is a team that has two quarterbacks that are supposedly known for their arm strength going downfield, and a team that has a guy like Mike Williams who can burn everybody and is a million feet tall. The volume isn't going to be there for him to be at 13. And I thought at 18 he was pretty good, but 13 is just too high. There's some guys going behind him that he can do a lot better with that have a more secure grasp on the majority of the running back action for their team. All right, fair enough. Dave, what are you thinking? So all due respect to the question, because, you know, I love Donnie's Diagnostics. Great guy. But this is a terrible narrative question. This It doesn't make sense. Austin Eckler is not a dreaming running back like Damian Williams. I actually like Damian Williams more than Sean does. But Austin Eckler, an undrafted free agent out of Western State, he had 200 pounds. He showed the durability, the skill the athleticism to earn carries in a backfield with a first round running back and Melvin Gordon, who was a bell cow. That is impressive to earn touches in a backfield with Melvin Gordon when you're a draft free agent. That hats off to, El- to, to Austin Eckler. Well done, sir. You had the, a great college profile. You had great athlete, or some very good athleticism and you've been a dynamic in the NFL and you have earned all the accolades. You've earned that contract. I actually think you should have gotten a little bit more, but well done, sir. Now, is the question, is he overvalued at, at RB13, like Sean mentioned before, in DLF ADP? Slightly, because I have him at RB17. And it's just because I prefer the upside of the rookie RBs and the guaranteed carries of a Fournette and Henry over Eckler. I just like the possibility of a bell cow role for these rookies. And then just, I'll take those carries for, for Fournette and Eckler. Now, he's also, another thing for me, he's 25 years old. I don't really like investing in 25-year-old running backs. I know that seems ridiculous, but it, there's a clear trend that starting at age 25, the amount of top 12 and top 24 seasons declines for running backs. I would rather get that value 
early on in their career and then sell them for assets and just retool. So I don't think he gets close to the 108 targets he saw last year with Phillip Rivers. And he does get a slight bump in carries, but I'm, I don't think he's eclipsing, two, eclipsing 200 carries. I don't think he can handle it. I think the Chargers want him to be the 1A to Kelly's 1B. And also, is Eckler even going to be the goal line back? I'm not sure. Eckler's a very good value. I think he actually has a high-end RB2, low-end RB1 for 2020, but overall, he doesn't have the upside that other running backs might present. Oh, I'm so heated with you guys. I'm so heated. I love Austin Eckler so much. This is like one of my guys. He is not Damian Williams whatsoever. Dave explained it perfectly. He's not a journeyman. Eckler was the RB4 last year. Williams was 38. It's not even remotely comparison. In only eight starts, he still finishes the fourth highest RB. He finished 10th overall in receptions, fourth in catch percentage. Eckler is not hype. He's proven production in limited opportunities. He finished the RB4, ranked 36 in rushing attempts, with only 132 attempts. Melvin Gordon's gone. I'm not buying the Kelly narrative. I get that they drafted him. They're going to use him. They're going to use Jackson. But if you're going to tell me that he's not going to get a significant upgrade for 132 when they just paid him to make a commitment to him, that doesn't make any sense to me. Do I think that the target number is probably not sustainable? Yeah, I do think that that's going to go down. I agree with Dave, especially with Henry being back in the mix. But I still think he ends up being number two in that team in targets. The competition's gone. They paid him. The O-line's better. I mean, he did not have a lot of rushing attempts, and now he's the number one back on that team. And he's unbelievably deadly as a receiver. He would be my 13th back off the board, but that more speaks to like who else is like in front of him too. So I think he's appropriately valued, but I do not agree that he doesn't have a high high ceiling. And I and I think that his floor we've already seen. So Todd. the other thing too is like when it comes to the other thing about it is too is like when we talk about the QB starter, Tyrod's leading receiver the last time he was a starting QB was with Sean McCoy. Well, he who, was are a guy his, who, who are his wide receivers the last time he was starting garbage. Kirby. I get that. That's what I'm saying. But I'm just saying it's not like Tyrod wasn't used to throw it to the running back. It was, yeah, it was absolute garbage. But my whole point is people are like, well, now he's going to be doing this. He's going to be doing that. I'm like, no. Everyone's a little overthinking it. Austin Eckler's proven that he's going to be a very good player this year. He's either going to be a low RB1 or a high RB2 all day. Go ahead, Dave. What are you going to ask? So that's exactly what I just said. I think he's going to be a low-end RB1, low-end RB2. I just like the upside of yeah. other players. So I, I think it might be just a stylistic approach or even maybe a little bit of semantics. But I want to make it clear that I am, I am trying not to be disrespectful of Austin Eckler because I think he's a great talent. He is a Alvin Kamara light. He is Alvin Kamara, yeah. Kamara West. That's how good he is. Now, the only thing that I, I forgot to mention earlier was that San Diego defense has gotten better. So maybe they're not like there might not be as much scoring or overall play volume. And also, I believe that it's tough for him to be as efficient through the air that he was with all those receiving touchdowns. That is going to be really hard for him to replicate. Yeah, what I'm saying is I I don't buy into Kelly's all of a sudden just going to come in, especially in this kind of a climate where he's not probably getting the same amount of reps that he would in a normal training camp. And like Eckler's going to be a primary runner for that team. I've watched Eckler play a lot and it's it's an eye test for me too. He runs incredibly hard. He can run outside. He can run between the tackles. He's got an extremely improved line. For me, like when I say I protect him as a low RB1, high RB2, that's where I think he wins. I think his ceiling's still top five. I mean, he just did it last year. Like why I don't think that there's a reality where he couldn't repeat that. I just think that the difference between him and Sanders is not a lot. And I think that people blow that up a little bit more than it should be. 
Kenny, do you have anything else you want to throw in? It seems like you're conveniently glazing past that Sanders has virtually zero competition around him. And that means a lot. There's no, there's no further conversation to have about who might vulture some of his touches, what a game script might look like against him. That's just Are you it. trying He's to tell there. me that, that Kelly's that much better than Boss Scott, Boston Scott? I mean, come on, dude. Boston and Scott is as Kelly. old as you are. Nobody has seen anything from him in the NFL the whole time <laughs> well, he's been in it. Why would he Kelly step play? in and take him? He wasn't exactly like have a high draft capital. He's another guy that's just kind of been hyped up because of his He's a good Austin Eckler. Well, yeah, but Austin Eckler's proven it. Proven, has played on the field and has been productive. He just was finished a top five running back. Kelly hasn't even played a game yet. So you're saying Josh Kelly is Boston Scott until he is on the field and proves that he isn't? It's, Kelly's not even a top nine running back in his rookie class. Like, give me a break. You know what I mean? So he's like, Boston Scott until he gets on the field and proves he isn't. No, my point being is that, like, I don't really see much of a difference in the value of those players right now. They're both just complete question marks. I don't think Kelly's going to come in and do this and do that. Yeah, I don't I don't buy that. You know what but I mean? But he could. Yeah, so could Can't, Scott. Will, will he? Why <laughs> so would they? Scott. Why would Philly do that? Why would Philly do that? So that they can They actually... haven't yet. They've had Boston Scott for three years? Philly really doesn't hasn't traditionally ran, like, a, like a bell cow running back in a long time, Sean. They've they, also they... never had a good running back in a long time, either. And I would say that, like, with San Diego, like, why couldn't they do the same thing with Eckler? Just because they just drafted, like, Kelly? Kelly could be a spell. He Like, I do think they'll probably vulture goal line. That I buy on with Dave. He's a much better goal line back. And the other thing with Justin Jackson is... He's the guy who just keeps coming up, but I haven't really seen enough of him to be able to... Until he actually does something, I'm not really buying into that narrative. But I really think there's a strong competition there. I think, Sean, there's more competition. Because actually, I like Boston Scott. He showed some promise at times in Philadelphia last year. Yeah. So I don't mind Boston Scott. Uh, but I don't, I'm not going to poo-poo Joshua Kelly either. The actual thing is, is that I just archetype the Ke- that uh, Eckler is. I'm not sure if he will be as efficient and as productive in a bell as a, with more of a role. I want to preserve him. I want him to be the dynamic weapon that he is in that workload that he's that he's shown us. I want him to repeat that. I don't want to heap more on him and risk injury and a risk of decrease in efficiency. Fair enough. I, I, I'm not trying to say it's not possible, but I'm saying like, it's as if like saying they're one A and one B is just not going to happen. I do think that by committee, these better for most teams because they do preserve star players. But for me, I, yeah, I, just saying he doesn't have that he has more competition is just not right. That was a fun one. Eckler's got my heart. I get very passionate about him. All right, here's another one. Ridley or Julio in Dynasty? Oh, um, I'll go first because I'm going to be really quick because I, I said my piece plenty on the last one. No, it's Julio. Next question. All right, so... I'm not predicting it, but there is a world where I can see them both finishing as top 12 wide receivers. I don't think that happens. I see Ridley probably finishing more in the mid-wide two conversation. But there's 250 vacated targets between Hooper, Freeman, and Sanu. The most of those targets are probably going to Ridley and Julio. That Hurst and Gage makes for some nice depth value with that opportunity there. I really like Ridley for a big jump in 2020, but it's just absolutely insane to like say to put him over Julio. Yes, I know the question's about Dynasty. I'm still going to go with the stud. I get the age piece. I'm just going to run with Julio until he, the wheels fall off, and I'm not going to buy that Calvin Ridley's going to pass him. Julio's going to have to retire before that happens, as far as I'm concerned. So, no. I'm Julio still on Ridley big time. Next. Dave, go ahead. I want to hop in here and just say I thought this was an overvalued show, not a 
who do you like more show? But I, you know, I, I, I tease I kid a little bit here, but I guess this one is a little is close for me. Uh, Riley Ridley has a real shot of being the wide receiver five with Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles, and the Matt Nagy <laughs> offense. So I guess I kind of understand where di- di- uh, Diagnostics is going with this question here. Now, I, all right. In all seriousness here, Calvin Ridley, he is overvalued in Dynasty as a wide receiver 17. He's my wide receiver 22, and I'm not sure he'll ever – Todd kind of mentioned this. I'm pretty positive he's never going to be the wide receiver one on his own team, and I'll echo Todd. Julio's going to have to retire for that to happen. I'm not holding on to Calvin Ridley until Julio retires. Where, where's the value in that? But I'm looking at Ridley as the player, respectable air yards. He's very efficient for his depth of target. His racer is very good. His weight opportunity in his second year was also very good and very respectable. The problem is there's a glut of wide receiver twos in fantasy, and it's really tough to sort them all out. I just don't see Calvin Ridley having that wide receiver one upside. Todd said he could see them both finishing his top 12. I don't think Ridley has it. Uh, yeah, he w- missed a couple games last year, and he just finished higher. However, he's he's got the frame where he does get injured. And he's. I'm not going to rely on a, just how a 600-attempt offense to and pure volume to get me into that top 12. I need talent, and I don't think Ridley has that talent that other wide receivers around his area does. I'd just rather have DJ Chark, Cortland Sutton, CeeDee Lamb, Keen Allen, and I'll even take Jalen Rager over, over them because they all have a better chance of being a top 12 wide receiver in their career versus Ridley. I think he's a really good player. And my whole top 12 thing was once I saw there was 250 vacated targets, I was like, damn, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of opportunity there. And Julio already gets a lot of targets. So it's like, why Ridley wouldn't get the work? I don't see why he wouldn't. So anyways, Sean, what about you for Ridley or Julio? I would go with Ridley and not for necessarily different answers than what you guys said, because I agree with Todd. If he was the wide receiver 25 last year, He should be taking a big move up. He plays in a couple extra games, but more importantly, those open targets. Russell Gage probably isn't a huge threat to take a majority of them. They'll probably throw an extra 30 or so to the running back. So you're talking there's still 175-ish left over. I mean, if Ridley picks up 40 more of those targets, right, he's talking 130 for the year, Mm -hmm. which puts him right around the same volume as most wide receiver ones finished. Yes, he has Julio standing his way, but as we keep mentioning on the show, this is a prolific offense. They're the most pass-heavy. They have an incredibly efficient and great quarterback in Matty Ice. And they could be the next Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, where you have one of them finishing as a very high wide receiver one and the other one finishing as kind of a backdoor wide receiver one, or if not that, the 13 or the 14. Right. And as Todd talked about on the last show, that was supposed to be a buy low show. It turns out <laughs> the Julio owner really still values Julio a lot. If you can try and negotiate your way into Ridley plus something for Julio, that's going to come out like gangbusters. And you're probably, it's not going to be a ton because the hype train for Ridley is so huge. But Ridley is six years younger. These guys are right. He's never going to surpass Julio as long as he's there. But if you can take a step back that's overall... 40-ish fantasy points going from that high-end wide receiver one in Julio to that low-end wide receiver one in Ridley. And you can pick up a running back to some some other area that can really bolster your roster up. That's a good play. And I would take that play all day. You don't think I'm going to let that shot go on the buy low, are you? You don't think I'm just going to let that just slide by, Sean? Yeah, that's why it was towards the end. So it was easier <laughs> to pick up on. If I, wanted, if I wanted it to pass I, you by, I would have slid it right I, in the beginning. 
I, I do I do greatly appreciate that in my old age that you waited so I didn't have to remember it for so long. And I who is that low because he is the lowest stud you can buy in the wide receiver position. Let's not you do know, this again. Proven studs. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. That's it. I will say, Todd, Todd, this is the worst take I think I've heard Sean on this podcast. Players that I would trade down to from Julio, I want players who are wide receiver ones on their own team. We mentioned them. Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen, A.J. Green. And I, and those are just low ends. A.J. Green and Thielen are low yeah. ends. But I'd rather have other wide receivers who are wide receiver ones on their own team and have that upside. So I'm, I'm sorry, Sean. I, I feel weird not agreeing with you. So if you, I, had, if you had Chris Godwin, you wouldn't trade down to Mike Evans and pick up all the extra pieces that would come with that? I am so no, high on Chris Godwin. I, I think it's impossible to get higher. No. Oh, I, I know you are, Dave. Yeah. I, I love how there. high you are on Chris Godwin. What Sean's argument was, just flip-flopping, and I love it. That's pretty much what it is. If I'm trying to compete and I can use Wrigley to go get Julio, and I don't have to put much probably with it, Wrigley to get Julio to trade up to a stud, that's what I'm talking about. That's buying low on Julio. So I get that Sean's trying to go the other direction, but I like the argument just from the other side of it. All right. So, oof, my team just getting beaten down right now. Question four. I swear Sean set this one up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so diagnostics. Next Reality question. set this question up. I didn't set this question up. Is Jarvis Landry greater than OBJ? Go ahead, Sean. Just go ahead. The answer here is stupidly obvious, and it's yes. Of course he is. Stupidly obvious. What a dick. Go ahead. It is. So it, this is an offense that is going to provide not nearly enough targets for how much people are salivating over all these different options in it. So throw it, to throw some numbers around, in the last five years, for a team to produce at least two Top 24 receivers, so wide receiver one, wide receiver two, two wide receiver ones, two wide receiver twos, whatever combination you like, they have to throw at least an average of 622 attempts. That's not the Browns. Last year was Stefanski in control of the Vikes. They threw 466. Before that, in 2018, over the four games that he was the OC, they averaged 19, which for the season is like barely 400. If you were to extrapolate that out. Now, obviously, it would be over as you taking game scripts and everything into account. But this isn't getting over 500 for them this year, let alone up into the 600s where it would need to be to be able to provide a situation where all these fantasy assets can hold water. And what have we seen so far? We've seen OBJ barely be able to stay on the field. We've seen him not being able to develop a rapport with Baker. And we've seen the exact opposite from Landry. He's never missed a game in any season that he's played in since they both came in the league in 2014. And in four of those six seasons, he's, let him in, he's outpaced OBJ in targets. I think the simple truth to it is, is that Landry will be on the field all the time. OBJ won't. Landry is going to have more of the targets because he plays in a section of the field that is more conducive to somebody of Baker's limited talent. And in Stefanski's offense, where there's not enough targets to go around, but they're going to utilize Kareem Hunt. They just paid Austin Hooper. They didn't pay him to come in and block because you could have got Joe Schmo off the street to do that. OBJ is going to have a real problem accumulating enough targets to live up to the hype of DLF's wide receiver seven, I think it is. 
So, okay, I'll admit so that's way too high. Juice all day. So is Landry going to outscore OBJ overall this year? You seem like you're just like that close to just to saying that, Sean. I'm pretty sure I just said it a lot. Yes, he will outscore OBJ. He will, okay. and OBJ will be outscored by Robert Woods. All right. And all Todd right. will look hilarious reading a poem to Robert Woods about how great <laughs> Robert Woods is. <laughs> Might want to double down. And I won't say that Landry's greater than OBJ, but he definitely could be better value. He's very undervalued. He has better value than OBJ from where he's getting drafted. I think OBJ is a little overhyped. Him as the wide receiver 7 is just way, way too high. I have him as my wide receiver 12. Both of these guys, and to a degree, all the skills players, are a bit undervalued because of the whole Savansky narrative. And I get like that scheme was being... It's a new team. It's a new, it's a new situation. Why all of a sudden would they not possibly just not use all these weapons that they have around him? I do think that Hooper does limit what Landry or OBJ could do in terms of touchdowns? But why couldn't Landry and OBJ both carve out a role? I have no problem with that. But for what OBJ's price is, I would probably look to trade down from him and try to get some other guys that I like below him. But with Landry, I just think that the price is just so, so nice for where he's at right now. Which was, Dave, do you have the ADP up for Landry by any chance? Yeah, he's the wide receiver 33 in DLF. But that's not the shocker. The real shocker is he's the 97th player off the board. That's fantastic. But he's the 97th player off the board, which is insane. Yeah, so you're so talking you know what? seventh round, you can pick up Jarvis Landry. That's incredible. That's incredible. Flat out better value than OBJ. 100% will agree with that. Do I think he's better? No. Do I think he's better value? Absolutely. So there you go. Are you happy now, Sean? Are you happy that you got that out of me? You haven't said that Landry will outscore OBJ yet, so no, I'm not happy. Well, okay. Well, that's you have not left me smiling and satisfied. Okay. Dave, go ahead. Just just, just get us off this. Go. I think the reason why Todd won't commit to a bet with you, Sean, is because Todd's not used to going up with a formidable uh, opponent like yourself. He's used to coming up with a mark like myself. So I think that's why Todd's <laughs> not committing. So uh, Will you stop talking down about yourself? Because when we make jokes, it makes it less effective. It's a bold strategy. It's the, Jim, it's the Jim Halpert strategy. I respect it. Well done, Dave. Nice I have I have done some research and this is my new top, my new strategy. <laughs> hey, it drew a compliment for me at the beginning of the show. I'll I'll take it. So I'm going to sp- kind of go with Todd saying and split the needle here. Is OBJ overrated at DLF wide receiver seven? Yep. And then just like Todd, he's my wide receiver twelve. He had an underwhelming year in 2019, and some people say that's because of injury. Also, he was in a new team. Baker was not as good. That coaching staff was terrible. All that being said, OBJ was third in air yards. He was ninth in market share of air yards, and he was eighth in weighted opportunity rating, which is a Josh Hermsmeyer, which is it's basically taking the team's target share of air yards. So it, that's getting to actually what OBJ did and not just some narrative that we've been spinning so far. OBJ was had some very good metrics that shows that he should bounce back for 2020. Now, I still don't think he's a wide receiver seven. Now, on the flip side, is Landry underval- underrated or undervalued at the left wide receiver 33? Actually, it... No, I don't think he is. That's right where I have him positionally. But the, where he's undervalued is, is he's going way too late. 97th overall. I'd rather have him ahead of other positions than that. He should be going at least a round and a half before that. And he was the most efficient on his team last year with 2.03 receiving yards per team pass attempt, which is a very predictive metric in the future. That bodes well for Landry. He also is coming off a hip injury and surgery. And I do not appreciate the Baker Mayfield hate that Sean tried to sneak in there. I will not forget, good sir. I, I still have faith in Baker Mayfield. Problem with Landry is, is I don't think he has the upside that other wide receiver twos have, and he's a little bit older. 
because of Austin, Todd mentioned a little bit, Austin Hooper plays at the same depth of target to a certain extent that Landry does. And that's where he gets competition. Whereas I don't think Hooper does as much down the field. I know this is a different offense in Atlanta and Cleveland, but OBJ is more of a downfield threat. So I'm not worried about Hooper taking into OBJ as much as, as Hooper is into Landry. I still think I like both of them. I'm just shocked that people would take OBJ at wide receiver seven. I don't know anybody who would in trades. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, no, that's okay. That's the one thing where I look on there. I'm kind of saying to myself, it's like, is that really happening? I'll be honest. I've been trying to trade OBJ all over, man. And like, nobody wants him. Like, nobody wants him. Moving on. Question five. Who is the McVeigh resurgent by low option? Go ahead, Dave. I don't really like this question again, because I don't think it's really in the value of our, our questions. I'm going to rephrase a little bit. Are any of the Rams wide receivers overvalued? And I, if I was going to really dive down, even though I t- said some positive things about Cup last episode, Cup at wide receiver 16 and DLF ADP is a little overvalued because of how tough it is to differentiate those wide receiver twos. Metric that that is pretty effective is fantasy points over expected. It just basically is how many points did they score over what their opportunity should have suggested. Cooper Cup was 40 points more than expected last year in fantasy points because a lot of that came from his nine touchdowns. He in his in the volume he got, he should not have gotten nine touchdowns. And that being said, I think he's another year removed from that that ACL injury, so that's positive. And I do not buy into the formation splits that people are going to to pump in this narrative about why Cup is overvalued. There's other wide receivers I like more than him. And then to take this question to the next level, is Woods undervalued? at wide receiver 27 in DLF ADP. Yes, he's undervalued. He should be more like wide receiver 24, in my opinion. And I don't even want to even put it that way. It's just that the gap in ADP between Cup at wide receiver 16 and Woods at wide receiver 27 is too large. They're only separated by a year, which is shocking for a lot of people. They're only separated by a year in their age. Woods is going to be 28, and I think Cup's going to be 27. I don't think there should be that gap because people view Cup as younger than Woods because Woods has been in the league forever. And then if you look at their actual play on the, on the field, Woods had better air yards market share. He had better weighted opportunity score than Cup. And he only had one receiving touchdown. I think that's going to regress towards or revert towards the mean a little bit. I think he's going to have a little bit more positive touchdown luck. And that's why Woods is undervalued. I love it, Dave. Sean, go ahead. Preach about um, Woods some more. My, I love Woods. And we've talked him to death enough, so it's not worth rehashing. So I think another candidate worth throwing in there for who is overvalued, I think, is Tyler Higby, just because... Yep. Amen, brother. Amen. It just yep. seems like it's all anybody wants to talk about when it comes to the Rams. If you look at the snap counts, there's a case to be made where Gerald Everett is possibly the more relevant tight end in that offense. Yes. Now, however you want to try and split it up between Woods and Josh Reynolds and Cooper Cup and not Van Jefferson... And then whatever goes to the running backs, whatever you want to try and pie out to the tight ends, I think everyone's shooting for Tyler Higby because they're hoping that this offense goes back to 2018 and it takes off and that he becomes relevant because of all this talk about 12 personnel on the field. But Gerald Everett was on the field more than Higby prior to his injuries in the beginning of the season. And then even when he came back afterwards, it was still a fairly even split. Everett is going to cost you almost nothing to go out and yep. get. Higby will cost you phenomenally more because anything is more than nothing. So I think Higby is overvalued because he shouldn't have that much value to begin with. He's just a 
He's a Twitter darling right now, and that'll fade. And if you can be the one there with Gerald Everett at the end, you're going to look pretty awesome. I love it. I mean, I, I don't really have much to add. I'm all in on Woods. Definitely check the price on Cup. Uh, like, everyone seems to be down on him by those narratives. Dave made me a Gerald Everett believer a while ago, and I've been buying in since. My only thing is that, like, are we sure there's a resurgent coming? The, what's the criteria for a resurgence? Yeah, I see it improving. The guy that I'm highest on in the offense is Woods just because of Cooks leaving. Woods just becomes a clear number one in my eyes, and I just see his targets going through the roof. Well said, gentlemen. I don't have much to say except I've been a big, big Woods fan since 2013 when the Pats, of course, traded out of the first round and did not draft him. When he was so, Bobby um, Woods. When he was Bobby Woods, Todd loved was him. Bobby Woods. That was all eye test, man. I used to love watching him play at USC. Kennedy, I don't think I've flat out asked you this before. And if I have, I just tend to forget in old age. <laughs> what is Woods on your rankings for wide receivers? Like, what number is he for you? I mean, I don't actually have, like, a definite rankings that I've ever sat down and done. But he would be somewhere between 10 and 15, 12 and 15. Ugh. <laughs> oh. Dude, I love that. I thought, I have him 18. I thought that was bold. I love Woods. When we talked about the OBJ Woods bet, I do like OBJ's scoring more than him, but I love Woods, man. Like, that was a guy I tried to trade down with OBJ for, and obviously Sean's not the guy to be trading OBJ to. Wrong. So, yes. Same yeah, so. sad. Nope. Yeah, he listens to the show, and he's now with you, man. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. I feel a few of these people have been have listened to the show and just what McKennedy's takes and just don't want to move him for me. So, And then some other people just won't trade with me anymore because of previous trades that I've won. So, Aaron Jones, and he was nominated by Jim Nastic, a friendly Canadian at Gold Jacket QBs. So he is a contributor at truenorthffb.com, and he's the host of the Gold Jacket Podcast. Todd, I just want to say, too, I ran into Jim Nastic in the Monocle Mock Draft I did with him with 12 other people, and it was a, p- a couple podcasts with them. Really smart, really sharp, so I really enjoyed meeting him there. I'm big, big fan of him on Twitter. Great follow. Dave, you had said that you thought that Jones has been talked to death, correct? I said that because even the fantasy football counselor who everyone makes fun of because he's like the Jersey Shore of fantasy football. And I think he <laughs> knows about Aaron Jones isn't going to have the same amount of touchdowns this year. So everyone knows that Aaron Jones scored a lot of touchdowns last year and it's probably not going to happen again. Yeah, so it's funny you said that he's talked to death because I feel the exact opposite. I feel like everyone just, that's what's just going to happen. He's going to regress. It's over, but nobody talks about it. It's just kind of like, Something that's agreed upon. So, Jones' number. So, I collected this off of fantasydata.com using the PPR uh, settings. So, last year, Jones finishes the RB2 overall with uh, end up scoring 314.8 fantasy points. <laughs> CMC still had 157 more points than him at though he finished number two. The difference between the first and number two back was Latavius Murray. I just, that's hysterical to me. He had 1,046 rushing yards, he had 49 catches for 474 receiving yards, and he had 19 total touchdowns. Yes, there's no way he's repeating that. He's currently the 18th running back off the board with an ADP of 46.25, so that's a late fourth for a guy who finishes the RB2 uh, last year. Gents, do you think at his current ADP that Jones is indeed overvalued? Mr. Kennedy, what are you thinking, buddy? I don't. And I think, you know, I'm all, I'm all on board for the TD regression because 19 is just, it's unsustainable and it screams unsustainable. But 17 is such a fall. 
people might try and point to Jones being the two last year, but not necessarily on the radar the year before. But it seems like they're conveniently forgetting that everybody spent 2018 screaming into Packers games saying, why is Jamal Williams on the field? Why isn't it just Aaron Jones? Because Aaron Jones is so clearly better in the passing game. He's so clearly better on the ground. He's so clearly better around the goal line that you can buy into the regression all you want. But to think that he is going to regress 15 spots is just wildly aggressive. And it is so, too, when you look into the fact that Jamal Williams, as frustratingly bad as he is for the field time that he sees, he accounted for 30% of the rushes and 40% of the targets last year. That's just more that should have gone to Jones. Jones has shown that he has the potential, he has the upside, he has the acumen, whatever you want to call it, to be a bell cow, to be an RB1, to be an every down back. And to just continually try and force other people in is just an insult to him. It's an insult to the fantasy community, and it is maddeningly frustrating. But what matters out of that is Jones was still the RB2 despite all that frustration. And he might be overvalued for people that still think he is the RB2, but he is way the hell undervalued for people thinking that he is the RB17 because they brought in A.J. Dillon, who I won't even go into because I feel like Dave is about to tee him up and eat him alive. (laughs) But the only thing that gives me pause, I love Jones for redraft, if that's the price, for Dynasty, the only thing that gives me pause with it is that he's not coming back to the Packers after this year, right? He's moving on. They have they drafted Dylan in the second. They'll probably draft somebody else in the fifth next year to compliment Dylan. And Jones will walk and he'll go somewhere else because Green Bay won't want to invest the capital. But from what we've seen with this recent hash of RB holdouts and high-level contracts is that people get paid – or they hit free agency and they end up on bad teams. Because bad teams are willing to spend the money and they have the cap room. So I think, unfortunately, what you might see is that Jones leaves and he becomes the lead back for a bottom feeder team like Washington. For high money, but behind a terrible line in a bad situation. and Or he's the one who goes to New York to replace Lev Bell. And it's just, it's not great. So in Dynasty, I have a little bit of pause, but I think I'm still buying at... Certainly at 17, maybe even at 13. Redraft, I'm in. It's just, it's unbelievable that he's fallen this far after producing that much. I'm totally with you. Dave, are you with Sean? Not not really. I just think it's finally refreshing to hear a different voice, not named Todd Foster, stump for one of his own players in Dynasty, which is Sean is clearly doing here. <laughs> wow. So, All right. It, I feel like it's worth defending the point that I didn't even mention that he was on my team. And I glazed right past I, I, the fact didn't that have to, Todd Sean. being so... Todd's dress was so blown up by the CMC stats, I could have jumped right in and mentioned that they're both on my team. But I didn't, Dave, but you brought it up. But here we are. So I mentioned how I think TD stuff has been exhausted, but Jones scored 58.6 fantasy points over expected last season. And I just have zero faith in Matt LaFleur optimally deploying his RBs in 2020. A.J. Dillon there with Jamal Williams... And Aaron Jones, I do not trust Matt LaFleur in his attempt to become the Adam Gase of the Midwest next season. So I he's just going to be terrible? Yeah, that's what Matt LaFleur is trying to do. He's trying drafting <laughs> the QB in round one, drafting A.J. Dillon in round two. That is what 
he's trying to do. He's trying to gut and just go towards the mediocre, slow it down. Let's not use Aaron Rodgers, not give him any weapons. Yeah, great idea. Great idea, Matt LaFleur. I will say it every time I mention your name. I blame you for Corey Davis, and I blame you for Marcus Mariota. So that's enough about the situation and the regression, you know, all that stuff. More importantly, I just don't like investing in RBs at the age of 25, which is that's where Aaron Jones is after age 25, and they don't have a second contract yet. I don't want them. I, once the RBs get to that point and they're valued like that as RB 17, I, I'm out at that point. I, I don't want to invest that kind of capital. I'd rather trade out or just, just fade that player and go for more upside plays or running or like more valued running backs who are younger and more athletic. But all that being said is I'm not talking about the actual player in Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones was eighth overall last year and he made tackles per opportunity. He had 63 targets and he's just a really good player. And it was a fifth round pick coming out of the draft uh, several years ago. What a great value. It's been a criminal that he's been undervalued up until last year and underutilized. So I'd love to see him keep getting utilized. And I could see him blowing away A.J. Dillon. I just, uh, he's a guy that I just more, I'd rather rather fade. However, this is a popular narrative that I am spinning right now. So it is worthwhile trying to find someone and say, hey, I'm actually kind of weak at running back. Why don't I just do a price check on Aaron Jones just to see if I can get a value and 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 capitalize if Aaron Jones repeats this year, he, he helps me get that much closer to winning a title because Aaron Jones does have that upside still, regardless of how much quote-unquote regression or reversion to the mean he has in his profile. Yeah, totally agree with you. Like, and like, I agree with most of the points you guys said. You're like, yep, there's gonna be TD regression. The contract is situation is definitely looming. They drafted a rushing linebacker in the second round to be able to like play behind him, who's probably gonna take his job. Did you guys know that I saw AJ Dillon play in high school with Joanne? Did you guys know that? Yeah, I was about to say Joanne saw him too, right? Yeah, Joanne saw him too. Yeah, she stopped looking at the cows on the field to be able to watch him play. It was it was great. Um, <laughs> he was impressive. The guy finished RB2, and he's RB18. Just obviously, there's just something wrong with that. Just from 2020 alone, I don't see how he doesn't finish in the RB1 conversation. I don't see A.J. Dillon coming in and just completely making this a timeshare. Is he going to go into that? Yes, but that just means he's probably not going to finish as a top five back for 2020. And from a dynasty standpoint, I'm sorry, but Cam Akers being ahead of him just like drives me nuts. And I know I'm really low on Akers, but... You're talking about, like, the, the fifth-ranked rookie running back behind a terrible offensive line, be ranked behind a guy that's been shown as dynamic and finishes the second-best running back in the league. You can't ignore how productive he was, how good he was. If you watched him play, it's clear that he is a starting running back and a dynamic one. If he leaves the Packers, he's going to have a significant role in an offense, and he's going to be paid to do that. Could it be a bad one? absolutely Sean's right he could end up in an absolute dumpster fire but at the end of the day it's exactly what Dave said this has been a narrative that's just been pushed to death the risk reward here it does not really look like much of a risk compared to what the payoff could be given what that ADP is there's no reason this guy should be be available at the end of the fourth round but he is so I get it I get the situation with not being uncertain about the future but the guy is a great football player he's a great running back and he's going to be a starter somewhere next year i would absolutely be buying on him i don't in our league because i do not want to to trade with sean whatsoever i'm absolutely a buy on jones 
I do not think he's overrated whatsoever. In fact, I believe he's undervalued. So he is my RB14, and that's because I'm being conservative about it. I totally could see him being, and this is from a dynasty standpoint. From art from 2020, I would put him much, much higher. So in a win-now situation, absolutely will look at Jones. But he's my 14 only because I don't know where he's going to end up last, next year. But I'm not going to put him over guys like Swift and Dobbins. I'm just not. Something came up in there that I feel like we have to address. What's that? that? I think we'd be doing everybody a disservice if we blew right past this. Dave wants nothing to do with Matt LaFleur. And he doesn't trust Matt LaFleur in any capacity as a coach to produce fantasy-relevant assets. Is that correct, which Dave? Matt, which Dave has said multiple times in multiple episodes, actually. So I does that make Matt LaFleur, Matt LaFleur the fantasy Jabberwocky? I know we already have a fantasy succubus, but do we now have a fantasy Jabberwocky? Anything negative we can say about him, I support. So I'll take it. Fantasy Jabberwocky. Fantastic. Amazing. I love it. Fun. Dicey Diagnostics. I love the questions. Go follow him on Twitter. Great guy. Uh, Dave, you want to tell them where they can find you? Yes, you can find me at FF underscore Spaceman on Twitter. And I want to remind everyone again about how the Tale of Two Rivals is a sponsor of the SFB Podathon. We are a proud sponsor of the SFB Podathon, and we're, and we're happy to, to join arm-in-arm with the community for some two great charities in Toys for Tots and the Equal Justice Initiative. We've already raised at the SFB Podathon $11,555 that crushed our $10,000 gold, and we're a little bit under two weeks away from the Podathon, where's where we do the majority of our fundraising anyway. Ah, the sky is the limit. Thank everybody who has supported the Podathon, who is sponsoring it, who has contributed. Unbelievable. The Scott Fishbowl is a, is, is a great, great league. And I now have Todd as my Mickey in my corner giving me a little advice and, and tell me to hit him in the body rock. So so I'm really excited. And check out all my work at DFF Dynasty. This is a great episode, guys. I really enjoyed the, the talk tonight. I'm going to make you chase chickens. All right. Uh, Kennedy, tell them where they can find you, buddy. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, checking that about once a fortnight at uh, FF underscore Walrus. I didn't know that information about the FSB Potathon and the uh, smashing of the goal, because that was probably on Twitter. And that's just fantastic to hear, like Dave said, just to echo that. We're happy to be sponsoring that. We're thrilled to just be involved in a great cause and be able to support two great charities like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled uh, for the success you guys have had. You know, hats off, phenomenal stuff. Um, it's great to have something again. I've said it before, like something that we are super obsessed with and passionate about to be able to use that and do some good in the world with it. It's, there's nothing better, man. It, it's fantastic. So hats off to Sal, Dave, and all the other guys that have been putting in that hard work. Um, hopefully Scott will no longer think my trades are crash and invite me next year to the Scott Fishbowl. Um, but yeah, so everybody who got the Scott Fishbowl, congratulations, good luck. Mickey's going to be training up Rock a little bit. And uh, if you're looking for me, I am at FF underscore Banterman on Twitter. Uh, having a good time getting in there and, you know, cracking some code, getting some takes, and I'm totally cool with defending my points. And uh, you can find my writing at uh, the... Dynasty Football Digest. Uh, I, it took me a second to remember who I wrote for. Uh, it's tough, isn't it? <laughs> so, um, really cool. Um, the Dynasty Trade Calculator uh, partnered up with us and the IDP guys, and they put out the first trade calculator with IDP settings from our ADP. So, if you're an IDP, that is a phenomenal tool to go out and make use of. So, um, 
yeah, I, I just I just think there's nothing else out there that you can find like that. So it's going to be uh, a great resource for anybody to get ahead up in an IDP week. So, gentlemen, good time, and uh, we'll be back with a few more uh, overrated takes. Adios. Todd, I think you've been lured into a trap here by Dave. Oh. Because I think if he comes up short in the Scott Fishbowl, which we know he will because of the Dave Wright curse, he has opened you up to a million jokes about how you're so old that you died before the big fight that cost him a title. <laughs> yeah, but but I was the I, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry I spoiled I was, that for you, Dave, but I just... But I, I'm like exploding I was sitting link. in my chair wanting to talk about how clever that was of you. I feel like I'm more Rocky and he's more Creed's son. But oh my god. You've been calling yourself Mick the whole time. I know. Well, I don't know if Dave's a Creed fan. Creed's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's, it's okay. I, you, know what, you know what? I actually might need to I might need to reconsider this partnership over the blatant disrespect for the teenage mutant. Like just, just awful. yeah, that was bad. That's that was awful. real ugly. Regret awful. that. I, I, I hope I don't edit it out. <laughs> you better not. Uh, I, you, 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 you can't. Coward. Edit it out. You can't. Oh man, J. Powell's gonna be J. Powell's gonna be so. I have mad. to urinate so bad right so now. Bad. Okay, I'll, I'll stop it.